Welcome back to Highly Respected. I'm your host, Scott Greer, and today we're going to have an incredible episode, just like always, and there's a lot of news topics to cover. I think some of the topics today are going to really uh, agitate some of the commenters. Our, well, our commenters are very easily agitated, as always, but sometimes they get a little bit more because we're having a theme today of... You know, you've all seen those memes of the left has gone insane, but today I'm going to be arguing the right has gone insane, especially in relation to some news events. Not every news event I'm going to talk about today relates to that, but a lot of topics. Like, I, you know, there's just so much that happened from Thursday to Sunday that, like, anything I wanted to talk about before got thrown out of the window. You know, I wrote an article last week about the trailer park chic of the right, but I don't even know if we're going to be able to get around to incorporating that in today's discussion. But we'll see. Uh, you know, first to go off uh, some of the big topics earlier in the week before I go on to the topics that I want to, uh, maybe not as newsy, is to just like to see what the news is and to give my take on it. The first thing we're going to discuss is the attempted mutiny in Russia, or whatever it is. Is that Prigozhin? I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but you guys know who I'm talking about. And it's Wagner. It's I'm pretty sure it's it. I think people some say it's Wagner, but it would be Wagner because it's named after the composer, and the composer's name was Wagner, not Wagner. Is you know they launched some type of um, insurrection of a sorts, and to you know the heart of Russia is that. Wagner has been used heavily in the battles in Ukraine. Uh, they seem to be the primary force fighting and taking Bakhmut uh, just a little bit ago. They took a lot of casualties and they've been relying heavily on, Russia's been relying heavily on them. But Grozin, their leader, very charismatic leader who's got a public face, you know, decided he's going to launch a, a military attack or military incursion into Russia to remove the defense minister. Shaigu and another general as well, and Prigozhin. Prigozhin. I actually double checked on it. It's Prigozhin. You know, launched this because he's had problems. I mean, and he's had problems with the Russian military leadership for a while. Even during the Bakhmut siege, he threatened to retreat and break it off because he wasn't getting the type of supplies and support that he wanted. And as once again, he's complaining that his troops are getting shelled and he's not getting the supplies and support he wants. And also there's been moves within the Russian military establishment to uh, de-emphasize Wagner and to move their resources to other private contractors that are more under the control of the defense ministry. So there's a, a lot of things going on. And, you know, they, they they seem to be taking some places in Rostov and, and other places near the border with Ukraine. Uh, but then they're like, oh, we reached a deal. Uh, Prigozhin is going to Belarus to do who knows what. And, you know, it's all settled. Uh, but, it, you know, a lot of people try to offer theories about this. I mean... One is that the left and a lot of, you know, liberals and center-right people were like, wow, we're having the coup we've always wanted. Putin is coming down. Wasn't really resulting to a coup, and it's also a long way from Rostov to Moscow. Uh, so I don't know how that was going to work. But they were insistent on that. And then the other side, the right, who primarily full of people who are pro-Russia for whatever reason— and will try to find and spend anything they see from Ukraine as a huge rush win. Had a little bit of trouble with this when they first emerged. And when they first emerged, they were like, what is this? And then they decided it was a PSYOP by the feds. It wasn't happening. 
And then the troops took the building, you know, surrounded the defense uh, ministry building in Rostov. And they're like, uh, maybe something's happening. And then they couldn't decide whether, and then they're like, oh, this is Prigozhin working with Putin to clear house of the rats. And that was the theory. And then when Putin gave a speech condemning traitors and people want to stab in the back, then they're like, oh, Prigozhin is an enemy. He's a traitor. They have to crush him. And then when they reached a deal, they're then like, oh, it's a trick. It, Russia did this all to fool the Ukrainians. And now Prigozhin is going to lead Wagner into uh, from Belarus into another attack on Ukraine. He's going to take Kiev. So they went through a lot of multiple theories in, in a 24-hour period. Uh, sometimes competing theories, you know, sometimes saying there was like a whole a PSYOP. Once again, people will just call anything a PSYOP just to sound smart and act like, oh, we've we've reached the secret knowledge. And so they'll just say it's a PSYOP. But it's clearly not a PSYOP. Now, like the full explanation, we really don't know. We only observe as outside observers of what the true story is. There definitely is a battle within the Russian establishment over Wagner and its power. And Prigozhin seems to have his own power base. And others within that establishment are trying to push him out and isolate him uh, and take over a lot of his business. You know, as I was saying, that a lot of private contractors, uh, rival private military contractors being set up with more control over by the Russian Ministry of Defense. As well as, you know, they're trying to make Wagner more under the control of Russian Ministry of Defense, with which Prigozhin opposes. And so there is this battle with it. And I don't really, you know, I don't believe the idea that this is just a trick to fool Ukrainians because it's like, you know, if, if these random America-Russian shills figured this out, I think the Ukrainian intelligence could figure it out. And it's like if they're on the border then they're going to be more likely to prepare. I don't see how they were fooled by this, by the this thing. And also the international message sent is like the Russian state is disorganized, chaotic, and at each other's throat. And it especially sends a dismal message to the Russian people because Prigozhin has become a hero uh, in a lot of circles in Russia. They like his uh, honesty and forthrightness about the corruption within the state they also like the fact that he seems to be a fighter that he seems to be delivering victories in the war so he has a lot of popularity and if he turns against the regime you know that's not good for the russian regime and also the fact that putin gave this whole speech can not you know not specifically naming him but condemning traitors and such you know doesn't create the best impression among the russian people and if you're trying to trick like the Ukrainians, and you demoralize and blackpill your own population, that's probably not a successful one. So I don't believe that it's like this maneuver to send them to Ukraine. If they were wanting to do that, they'd say, we're pulling out Wagner from Ukraine. And then the Ukraine's like, oh, well, they're moving. And then they show up in Belarus. That would be a much way better way to, you know, uh, dupe them because now there's more attention on Wagner and their movements and where they're going than ever before. So I don't really believe that it's like that... Um, Thing. I mean, it really just shows that there's these intense power battles within the Russian regime. And, you know, their organ their war effort isn't very organized. And uh, there's a lot of corruption and, and chaos within that war effort. And there's, you know, and out, you know, the very specific details of what's going to happen next to Bergosian and everything. You know, that's unclear. But I think if you're seeing the message, like, I don't think this was a elaborate 40 chess on Russia's part. I don't think this was a CIA Fed plot, which has become the two most popular things. Is that this Prigozhin is a is a CIA or, or you know some type of evil force against Putin, 
uh, and they used him to do a psyop against the Russian people, which I don't really believe because the Russians did take this very seriously. And, you know, he eventually came to negotiations and he's very popular among the Russian people. And I don't also believe this is a elaborate trick among them, but those become the two most popular theories for this. I, as I go on, you know, this is very unpopular with what people because I, I feel like a lot of our audience, um, particularly for distant right, and I don't know if it's like particularly mainstream right, but you do see this in generally the entire online right sphere. And this does go to the way of mainstream right is that they want to see a Russian victory. And when they turn to us for information, they really just want 100% pro-Russia, Russia's winning content to counter the mainstream media's, you know, distorted narratives. What's the mainstream media is also not presenting an accurate picture. You know, it's like every time Ukraine is massive victory, which is not happening, you know, their counteroffensive isn't really going well. Um, you know, it's too hard to say whether it's a complete failure because I remember last year, you know, they had a, an offensive in Kherson that looked like a complete failure. And then, you know, a few weeks later, they took you know, back the rest of Kharkov all blast. And then they made serious gains in Kherson and even taking Kherson the city. So I don't, you know, it's a little bit too early, but so far the counteroffensive is not do, going very well for Ukraine, but you wouldn't hear that from the media, from the Western media. At the same time, the Western media is distorting the war picture in favor of Ukraine. You know, the online rights sphere is distorting it in favor of Russia. And there's this, uh, insane degree of 40 chess where everything that like happening is actually a huge win for Russia. You know, it doesn't matter. I think, you know, or there's just no matter what happens on the battlefield, like it's actually total Russian victory there. Kiev is just a few steps away for them. And I don't think that's like very accurate. Really what the war has come down to is it's a very bloody stalemate. I think Ukraine is suffering more losses in human life than Russia. But Russia is also not really willing to risk the amount of casualties that they need to gain the type of territory that its uh, Western fan base thinks that they're about to take. Uh, the war effort seems just like too chaotic and disorganized to really be as effective. You know, even with the city sieges takes much longer than expected. I mean, Bakhmut's took several months and they lost a lot of guys. I mean, Wagner lost a lot of guys taking, I saw an estimate of 20,000 casualties that they suffered. That's a lot, especially for the type of war being waged. I mean, World War II numbers, um, that wouldn't be that bad. But, you know, this war is being fought on a little bit different scale. 20,000 and one for one battle is a lot. Uh, you know, you could say that's overestimated, you know, whatever. But, you know, they did suffer a lot of casualties. I mean, Ukraine suffered a lot of casualties, too. But it's also Russia doesn't want to suffer more than they have because that would make the war effort unpopular. And they also don't want to go total, you know, air power, shock and all tactics because they think that might draw in NATO. So they have these long drawn out sieges that take months and months of time and both sides suffer massive amount of casualties, and they're not as willing to do that. That's a good because Marupol, I'm probably mispronouncing it, but Marupol uh, took a lot of time and lots of casualties on Russia and Ukraine's part. And then there's like these, oh, they've committed war crimes, they, they're like war crimes tribunals and stuff. And while Russia knows that it's like that, they do try to avoid it. So as I said, the war effort is a, a stalemate at this point. I think that the most likely scenario is that Russia will have some type of offensive that will gain the rest of Donbass or will gain the rest of the Donetsk Oblast and Lugansk Oblast. And they'll have the... Actually, one thing is like Lugansk. I can't believe... They say Donetsk, but then it's like Do, uh, Lugansk. 
I don't really understand the pronunciation. Once again, I'm not a Slavic speaker, so I don't really know the pronunciation. But they'll gain the entirety of those two oblasts and maybe a little bit more territory in the south. Um, you know, they've claimed two other provinces with Kherson and Zaporizhia. Once again, not pronouncing that correctly. This is a, this is a very American thing. Um, they, they've claimed that they've annexed those, but those may be the things that in the bargaining table. Like, okay, we forsake that if you recognize Crimea and Donetsk and Lugansk as part of Russia. That might be part of the plea agreement. But that's what they'll gain. And I guess that's you know a bit of a victory for Russia. But I don't think this really has... You know, it doesn't really benefit the Western side because I think when we saw this war or what the most positive development could, that could come from Russia is that the, Russia and Europe gain closer ties, closer economic you know, ties, ec- political ties. And this becomes a counterweight to the global American empire strength. It becomes a third block, you know, from, you know, you got America and then you got China. And that becomes a third block that becomes more right wing more, you know, opposed to globalism, more opposed to the global American empire. And there was a possibility of that. I mean, you know, with Nord Stream 2 getting built and that, you know, Germany, you know, having more positive relations with Russia, you know, before the war, it looked like there was well on this way. And even when the war started, it looked like Europe may, you know, tell America to take a hike. They're like, we're not going to risk our economy to push sanctions. And then Russia would have a quick victory over Ukraine and then would establish a pro-Russia government and would have you know, really signaled of how Russia might. That has not happened. I mean, Europe, the biggest problem for Russia, and I think even for Western, you know, people who want to have positive opinions about Russia, is that Europe is, you know, the divisions between Europe and Russia have been even further magnified or further solidified after this war. I don't think they're permanently ruptured, you know, but it'll take a long time to repair compared to pre-war which pre-war it looks you know with Nord Stream and other things going on it looked like they were well on their way to having a degree of decent relations and and having the possibility of forming that block of power now that's not going to happen at least at this decade and uh, Europe is now even more dependent on the global American empire on the gay than ever before you know, for their energy, political, and all these needs that they have, they're totally subservient to America, unless for the exception of China, but that that's another point we'll get to in a moment. And that's it. And with Russia, you know, Russia permanently isolated from the white world, you know, the only people supporting their effort among the white countries is Belarus. And Hungary's not even supporting their war effort, but, you know, they have a degree of independence more than the rest of Europe. So it's just really Belarus, but everyone else, it's like Africa, you know, these uh, India, Pakistan, Middle East, China, of course. And a lot of people get like soy jack over this, like, oh, man, it's awesome. Like uh, Equatorial Guinea is like on the side of Russia, the multipolarity. Here we come. And it's like really Russia is just joining team non-white, team uh, anti-West in this. And with despite all the problems of the West, you know, I don't think our salvation is going to come from China, South Africa and uh, Pakistan and Iran. I don't think the like these countries, you know, they're you know, they're hostile to the gay and they don't like a lot of the uh, woke stuff. Well, China doesn't give a shit about the woke stuff, but I mean, they're just less woke than us. But it's not like they really care about it. Uh, but at the same time, they really are very anti-white and 
if they gain power, that would not be good for white people. And that's why I always like stress that the, like the identity issues have to be front and center, especially when it comes to foreign policy, because then these people will just start soy jacking over these random third world tin pot dictatorships that just say like, screw Americans. Like, oh man, North Korea based. Uh, it's like, no, these countries suck. I mean, like North Korea is like fun for meme value, but it's like, no, it's a horrible country <laughs> and it's not, it doesn't really present a real, you know, power threat to, to America. I mean, it does, you know, have some weaponry and stuff, but at the same time, like nobody wants to live in North Korea. So instead of Russia being moving closer to Europe and making Europe better, they're instead being separated from Europe and moving closer to China and the non-white world and becoming a junior partner to China. I mean, they're becoming, in the same way that Europe is becoming more dependent on America, Russia is becoming more dependent on China. And I don't think that's a positive development. So for Russia itself, I think the war, you know, gaining that territory and recognition of it, there's some benefits of it. Is that worth the price of, you know, having these permanently split ties with or long-term split ties? We won't say permanently split ties with Europe and being cut off of that, um, those, those customers for their energy supply and, you know, being politically isolated from it. You know, time will tell. But for the West, you know, for Westerners who are wanting this war to send a message to gay and weaken the gay, it's had the opposite effect is that the gay has been strengthened by the war. Ukraine is not a winner. When people like tell, you know, get mad and like, you're saying Ukraine is winning the war. I'm not saying Ukraine is winning the war. Uh, I'm saying it's a stalemate. And I think that from Ukraine's perspective, at the end of the war, they'll probably end up a loser. uh, Their leadership won't because they got wealthy office because they'll have a permanently ruined country, you know, devastated. You know, all these people have left. You know, it'll be even more of a shit show than it was before the war. Um, And Russia could have end up with a victory. It could be a Pyrrhic victory of sorts, but of some type of victory. And I think that's the most likely scenario because the only way that the war will probably end is if Ukraine agrees to cede some officially recognize some territories no longer Ukrainian. But at the same time, like who gives a shit for on our perspective if Russia gains Donbass? Like that has nothing to do with our struggle at all. Absolutely nothing. And it doesn't. And if at the same time, like even for America, they don't really care because they've isolated Russia from Europe and Europe is now more dependent on American supplies. And Europe is just like asking, you know, Europe for military purposes wants more American involvement, like Poland and the Baltic states want more American troops and everyone's wanting more American supplies. So all these European countries are more dependent on America you know, there could be saying like, well, they've kind of alienated Latin America and Africa, but these countries will come around. I mean, and there's already that's that's a less of an issue. It's a bigger win for have Europe thoroughly, thoroughly controlled by America and to dispel any type of independent spirit than it is to lose the support of Cameroon. Now, the only way that the gay could suffer a defeat from this is if China negotiates a peace deal. Now, I think this is not hunt that likely but there's a chance for it and there were moves i think earlier this year or late last year where xi met with you know Zelensky and putin and you know ukraine seems to have some oh you know some type of uh, openness to it i don't think it's likely because we would cut off ukraine and ukraine is extremely dependent on american aid and support and we would be really pissed if china did that i mean europe is having some interesting relations you know europe is cutting off russia but they're not cutting off china against 
American wishes. Some countries are, like Poland and the Balts are cutting off or trying to decouple from China. But those are the states that are most dependent on America and most thoroughly like pro-gay, at least when it comes to military means, due to the Russian threat. But Western Europe is not that eager. I mean, Germany is trying to make more partnerships with China. Macron recently visited China and said that Europe shouldn't be vassal states to America and in way to great uh, stronger economic ties with China. And that's also not really a win because once again, I'm not one of these people who like thinks like China strong is really good for us because once again, I know they're anti-white state. They don't really like whites like they you know they're thoroughly care you know the han supremacists they want the hans as the dominant race of the world i don't think this is really good for us to be you know i don't i'm not i don't go as far as some of the you know conservatives are like the ccp is our main threat but i don't think it's i do think it's a problem that china becomes more powerful and i don't like to see europe become subservient to china in this regard it's the same i don't like seeing russia becoming subservient to china but that's a result of the war but if China resolves the conflict, that is a massive loss for a gay because that signals to the world, hey, don't rely on America to solve your problems and to negotiate things. Focus on China. China is now the real global mediator, the global you know, peacekeeper, not America. And you know more countries are going to be more reliant on China and having closer political and economic ties to China rather than America. And that would be a huge, huge problem for America if that happened. Now, we'd still have uh, the gay would still have the gain of making Europe more dependent on America. But at the same time, that's in a that's really undermining America prestige and power and influence in the world if that would occur. I don't think that's the most likely scenario, but there is a chance that could happen. And that's the only way that there that the gay could suffer defeat in this because Russia is not the Russia's initial war plans. As clearly stated by their drive to Kiev was to topple the government, put in a friendlier government and restore Ukraine back to the Russian sphere and get them away from the West. That was the real goal of this. They're not going to be able to accomplish that goal and they're settling for taking some of the territory that they effectively control. You know, that could that's in some degree of victory, but it's not what they sought and try, were trying to achieve. And people are all like, oh, they didn't try to achieve that. It's like, well, then why did they try to invade Kiev and try to take it? You know, I, I don't, you know, some people like the coat posters, like you really need. Uh, I wish I, you know, it's like uh, it's like a team. It's like an NFL team. Imagine that they're like keep losing every game. But all their fans are like, oh, they're winning these games. They're doing well. I don't think Russia is doing that bad as that they're like. One and sixteen or something. Uh, it's like a worst NFL team, but they're like an NFL team that's really struggling. Of course, we're going to use football metaphors for this, but any sports team, you know, they're having a lot of struggles. But you know, their fan base thinks that they're the number one team in the league, and they're definitely going to the playoffs. So it looks like they're not going to make the playoffs. Uh, so that's really you. Really, their their fan base are so loyal. Like it, no matter what happens with Russia, people will do forty chess and talk about how awesome they are and stuff. And it's uh, one thing with the right is that it's actually, you know, you would go on Twitter and you would think that like the majority of conservatives and the majority of American public really care deeply about Ukraine in the way that they're wanting to pull America out. And it's like it's incredibly unpopular that we're spending so much money on that. Polling shows another story. You know, a new poll just came out, which I think it is slanted due to the source, but it does show 
like there's a majority. I think it is a majority. And says that 76% of Americans believe Kiev's victory is important to the United States with this, with 86% of Democrats and 71% of Republicans saying that uh, a, a lesser number believe that we should be giving more weapons and aid to Ukraine with like 59%. But, you know, you could say that that's it's slanted numbers. I'd probably agree with that. But I don't think it's like, you know, people think that's like the opposite of like 76% say that it's not vital to American interests or they don't support Ukraine. I don't think that's the case at all. I think this is very much similar to what was hap- American opinion prior to American entry in World War II, where over 80% of the public, I think it was 84% of the public, favored the Allies and only 2% favored the Axis. And this is like a 1940 poll. And that was undoubtedly true with the public sentiment uh, of how it was. But the majority of American public did not want us to be involved militarily in that conflict. But they were rooting for the allies and they were open to some degree of support. And I think that is the same with what's happening in Ukraine is that the vast majority of people have asked, who do you favor? And there's polls that show this. Been having trouble trying to find those polls, but the polls showing it's like, who do you favor in this conflict? And it's pretty much... A negligible amount saying they favor Russia, which is like the online right opinion. And while it's like overwhelming majority favor Ukraine. Now, people are grumbling about the price tag, but all the other conflicts is like people are just saying like, oh, nuclear war might happen. I really don't buy that meme. I think Putin doesn't have as thorough control over his government as shown by the Prigozhin uh, Attempt immunity, mutiny, and the fact that it seems like his defense minister and others are out maneuvering Putin and ensuring that he can't do a lot of things that he wants to do. I don't think there's that possibility. And also Russia just knows that, you know, they don't want to have a nuclear war. They're not willing to go that far to over Ukraine. I think people just like use that because that's a way to convince the American public to be opposed to the war, which I'm fine with, but I just don't believe it's true. Uh, I really think that, I mean, I do think the war should end because, I mean, you have likely over 100,000 whites from countries that have horrible fertility rates, fighting age men, probably the best of their stock, because these are guys who are willing to take risks and go out and fight and die. And you see a lot of these guys who've died and they're like, you know, seem like good stock. I mean, you could say they're fighting for stupid reasons or whatever, but you're hoping that they reproduce and they're not reproducing. Instead, they're getting blown up in a trench and... I don't think that's really, and as I said, you know, both Russia and Ukraine have horrible fertility rates and they're basically sending all their fighting edge to die in this stupid conflict that could be easily negotiated in a peace deal, which I think America should move to just to end the bloodshed. And that's my main reason why I support a peace deal. I think it's become a thoroughly idiotic war that's going to hurt the West in general just because we can't replace those people. And it's uh, for you know, something that could easily be resolved for a peace negotiation. Like, I'm not one of those people who thinks, well, I mean, this is the standard opinion for right-wingers, but Ukraine's borders were made in 1991. Ukraine is a real nation, but the problem is its borders that are set in 1991 were just set, like, haphazard. And, uh, And historically speaking, those borders are not really what was considered part of the Ukraine nation. And people and they didn't even win it. It's just like Russia is like, oh, well, this is the uh, Ukrainian Republic that we had set up and it includes a lot of Russians. Uh, Here you go. Like it can be easily be redrawn to ensure that there's better peace. But America and Ukraine doesn't want to allow that. But hopefully a peace deal is reached. I, you know, I don't think it's this conflict is not going to lead to nuclear war. It's just going to lead to more unnecessary deaths for people that 
are not replacing themselves and they're going to be replaced by other people. And as it can already be seen, I mean, I think Ukraine is going to be inundated. Both the Russian and Ukraine controlled parts of Ukraine will be inundated with migrants following the war due to the population, um, massive population decline resulting from the war, both with refugees leaving and the deaths in the conflict. So hopefully a peace deal can be reached. But um, I do think it's like the, the the opinions of the conflict on our side have become a little bit uh, dis- <laughs> disconnected from reality. It's like the American public will, you know, they do grumble about the cost of it. Uh, at least Republicans do. But at the end of the day, they still side with Ukraine or hope they win. And it's not one of their top 10 concerns. While it's a huge concern for Amer- for guys on the right wing Twitter and so there is a huge disconnect there on the conflict, which on there, it's like we hope for a peace deal, even with p- people who, you know, maybe try to be neutral on the conflict. It's generally leaning towards pro-Russia, which the American public is very pro-Ukraine, anti-Russia, even among Republicans. They just think that we're spending too much money on there and maybe it would be better for a peace deal to be reached, which there should be. I think it's it's time for a peace deal. It's already at a stalemate. You know, Russia is just going to gain a little bit more territory. And hopefully when that happens, Ukraine comes to its senses and agrees to a peace deal. But now back to our topic of the right has gone insane. And my favorite theory about the both Russia and it, this also involved the submersible, the Titanic submersible that imploded, which people were searching for. I, I found that was an interesting human interest story. I, the discourse around it online was a bit weird because some people were arguing you know, the leftists are like, this is awesome. We're killing billionaires. And then some people are taking it a little too seriously. Like, this is so tragic. We can't make jokes about it. It's like, you know, it's a, you know, an interesting story. It's a dark story. I don't think you should celebrate the deaths. But I found the more, it was more offensive with the leftists celebrating the deaths. But I also found it equally annoying that people are like, you cannot joke about this. You can't joke about this. This is unclassy. Like, I tweeted out a really funny tweet of, uh, a good friend of, I can't name him because he gets mad if I name him, but I retweeted this thing as like uh, off of Papa Roach's last resort, uh, played to the lyrics of the situation, which was really funny. And there was people like, that, 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 that is not a laughing matter. And it's like, look, it's sad that the five people died, but like we didn't, they, at the end of the day, they are strangers. It was a human interest news story. You can make jokes about it. But there was like both with the Russia thing and the submersible, they're all like, this is all an attempt to distract the American public from Hunter Biden. And I I would say the Hunter Biden situation is outrageous. Like, I mean, you know, the fact is like the feds charge him, he reaches a deal and then he's at a state dinner the same night with Modi, or I think it's either the same night or the next night after meeting with, you know, important dignitaries and important officials. It is a massive slap in the face and it is a reeking of nepotism and showing how corrupt the Department of Justice is, is that they didn't, you know, push these charges. But I think at the end of the day, the American public doesn't care about a Hunter Biden as much as conservative media does. I mean, they should. I mean, compared to what they compare with care about with Trump, they should. But it's just the fact of the matter. I don't think Biden sank the submersible um, and convinced Prigozhin to launch a mutiny to distract the American public from Hunter Biden because already the media was ensuring the people outside of conservative media sphere were not paying attention to it. He didn't need to engineer a, a, a submersible disappearance and a, a mutiny to do that. But the conspiracy theories and the psyops things become very much more popular. But they will go to the... Uh, 
worst example of the right going insane with a uh, fight in Oregon between Proud Boys and a uh, local Wignat group called Rose City Nationalists. This event may be one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Uh, There's competing stupidity here from both the uh, Wignat side and the uh, Normie conservative side. I would say the Normie conservative side is dumber or more, it's more popular type of student, more pervasive stupidity, but the Wignats are also being idiots. So it's like you have dueling idiots here and with idiotic theories and what's happened. So in in the brawl that happened is that uh, like there was a small number of Wignats who were wearing masks, uh, but there's also a handful of Proud Boys also wearing masks and the Proud Boys and some of them are militia members, I think three percenters cornered them and began attacking them and demanding that they unmask and calling them feds and telling them to get the fuck out of here. And they attacked them and they unmasked at least two of them. And when this happened, this was treated as the most awesome thing that has ever occurred. Uh, Benny Johnson is one of the, I, I don't want to, you know, I'm going to focus mainly on Benny Johnson, but any tweet saying that these guys are feds and this is awesome from like a big account or a meme account got not just like a thousand likes, but got like a thousand retweets and then got double digits in reet in likes. And with Benny Johnson, he tweeted out with his video. He said, this is the best video on the internet right now. Pro-America Patriot rally ongoing. Feds show up dressed as Nazis. Patriot force feds out of rally. Unmask the feds who panic. The Nazis cry, tremble in fear. Cops rush to save feds. And he had tweeted later on that this tweet had gotten 30,000 retweets, 100,000 likes, 9 million views. The unmasking movement has arrived because of course what the most important thing to do is to unmask alleged racists on the part of conservatives. And that was then. But as I'm reading it now, it has... 45.4 thousand retweets and 154,000 likes 154,000 likes and 20 and the views of the video it has almost 27 million views on that video and Betty went on to describe how this is a win-win and later on the thread he said this is a win-win Let's say these really are just dumb racist punks not welcome they have no place in our movement now they're exposed good If they are feds, this is a taxpayer-funded PSYOP meant to defame and entrap innocent Americans. Now they're exposed. Good. W. If And then he says, if more people have been suspicious about these random police-protected mask jackaxes, there would have been no January 6th. Believe that. I actually don't believe that. An honest, moral, proud movement does not wear masks. Does not run and hide into unmarked vans when confronted. Call them out now. I actually do, the the mask thing, I actually do think, that's always been a big problem for right-wingers, but uh, the Wignat side has yet to realize this message. I mean, Wignats do it because, obviously, if they're exposed, you know, being exposed as, like, a white nationalist or even a neo-Nazi, some of these guys can be referred to as neo-Nazis. I mean, they're carrying around swastika flags. I don't know what else you're supposed to call them. And they'll say, like, I'm a Nazi, but don't defame me as a neo-Nazi. I don't, I don't know what the hell that is. Um, you know, it doesn't, that's why they do it, but it also doesn't, if you're out in public, it creates this menacing 
impression because if you're wearing masks, you know what what do people associate masks with? They associate it with criminals. And even with like the right and mass with, uh, you know, coming back from COVID, it, it associates you with that COVID uh, nonsense. But when for most people they see, they see mass, they see criminal, they see somebody up to no good. And if you're wearing all black and you've got a skull mask on, that's not creating a welcoming impression. That's trying to create a menacing and intimidating impression. And it's people are going to think you're the bad guy. And that's always what happened with Antifa. Back in the Trump years, as people were criticizing Antifa for being masked up. They're like, these guys are criminals. They they vote criminality because they're masked up. They're not showing who they are. And it created now for Antifa, they wanted to create that impression of intimidation and menacing. And the left was open to it because they were like, let's make racists afraid again. But for the right, they really hated them because they were wearing masks. Now, when the right does it, you don't have that right wing support for it because they think of these guys not as like badasses and heroes which is what the Wignats want to do they're thinking of these guys as you know criminals as menacing as as like people they don't want it's like who the fuck are these guys why are they wearing masks like we don't want these there and instead of creating this welcoming impression that hey these guys are standing up for what we believe they're defending a popular thing they're young they're whatever instead they see them as these masked up criminals which then makes them think feds which I think the Fed impression is uh, rather stupid, which I'll go into in a moment. But uh, that's the impression given. So, But the Wignats have yet to learn this lesson. I, I think the demonstrations they do are deeply... It's not only just deeply unappealing to the public. They're trying to win over conservatives and right-wingers for their protests. When they're showing up at, to protest against abortion or trans stuff or drag queen hour or whatever they're up to, they're trying to say, like, hey... We care about the same issues as you conservative, and we're here to fight and stop it. But instead of creating that impression, they say, the, among all the people they're trying to reach, they say, hey, these guys are feds, they're bad actors, we need to mask and un- expose them. So they're actually doing the opposite of when they show up in rallies, because instead of drawing interest into their ideas, they're instead creating, repulsing people from them, and they think that they're intrinsically bad due to who they are and so it's alienating them but all these guys continue to do it that they're not gaining more adherence they're gaining they're losing any possible sympathizers they may have and even you can see this it's not just like normie conservatives calling them feds there's a ton of people who are otherwise racist (laughs) are called racist who think they're feds i remember uh, i was one time reading um you know, the Amron comment section, and they had talked about uh, Patreon. And all these guys were like, they're, they're totally feds. They're totally feds. And I'm like, this is the Amron comment section. <laughs> this is, they're not supposed to be it. And I was seeing people like Ramsey Paul, who was sharing all like the Boomer Con stuff. He was like sharing the Benny Johnson stuff. And he would otherwise, you know, uh, agree with, well, maybe not the Rose City Nationals, but some of these other mass groups, like, uh, you know, he may agree with them on immigration and, and a lot of the racial issues and stuff, but he thinks that they're feds and they're that they're bad actors and he doesn't want to support them. And there's several other people who don't like them. So it's, it's unclear who they're winning over. If you're doing a public administration, you're trying to win over at least a portion of the public, not alienate the entire public, even your sympathizers, which is what these demonstrations are doing. But none of these guys get that. And they think that like, oh, if we show up, eight people show up in public, um, you know, beer hall push is next. A successful beer hall push is next, and total state power is on the horizon. And none of these guys, but it's also totally bad optics if you go there 
the people you're trying to win over as sympathizers then beat your ass and all you and the only resort you have is to complaining on the internet which all these guys that they all act like they're big and tough and that they're that they're on the verge of takeover and that cucks like greerberg don't know what's to happen and then they show up in real life they get their ass beat by proud boys and they resort to just like you're you you're so mean to us and it's just like wimpy i mean it's like i I, like i sympathize i think it's really stupid for proud boys to to attack them and beat them up for no reason i mean they're peaceful they're otherwise peaceful demonstrators uh but at the same time i do find it weird if you guys are like you know preaching you know mass violence and all this stuff and how you're so powerful and tough and then like you get your ass beaten by proud boys and your only recourse is just weaving this fantasy world online where you're going to they're going to make them pay someday which they're not i mean and so there needs to be rethinking on the part of wignats with her but there's not they're they're going to continue to insist to be stupid that's just it is but they're a small fraction you know they've always done this stuff maybe it's a good that you have these idiots out there so smart people can do other things and they attract all the hate and animosity and you, you can't reason with them. I, I, I think they're going to continue to doing what they're doing, even though they're, it's having the up, opposite effect. So that's the one type of stupidity that's involved here, the part of the dueling stupidity. Now, the other that's a bigger problem, I think, because it's a much larger, much more mainstream thing. And it's a part of the idea that these guys are feds. And it's become this, like, fed-op paranoia on the right, which the funny thing is with here is that the Proud Boys who attacked them and the three percenters are the top targets of the federal government in terms of like right-wing groups that they want to go after and target. The Proud Boys just got convicted, you know, a lot of their leadership just got convicted of conspiracy charges relating to January 6th. And the Oath Keepers, another militia group, same thing. The, the federal government is definitely placing federal informants and possibly undercover agents in these groups. And if I had to guess, there were at least one... <laughs> federal informant involved in this fracas and it was likely not on the rose city national side it was likely on the proud boy side there is a greater chance that there was and this is not an attack on proud boys um per se i'm just saying that what's honest but like you know the federal government really thinks like proud boys is a top priority and so they're definitely going to be putting informants and considering how many guys involved in the group have criminal records I and Toria Otario, you know, had a criminal record and was a previous informant. That was like the leader. Uh, I think there's a lot more guys just like him who have got that. And it's much easier leaning on people with criminal records because it's like, oh, hey, we pulled you over. Oh, you didn't re- properly register that gun. Or, oh, you've got drugs on you. Oh, huh? well, you know, we can uh, send you to jail for a long time for violating parole. Or, you know, and you've got a record, you know, that's not going to look good. Or you could play ball and give us information on this group we think is a is one of the top threats to America. So there's a greater chance that there's uh, informants within the Proud Boys in this small group that I hadn't even heard of until this weekend. Like, there's definitely informants in all these groups. Like, there's informants in Patriot Front. I guarantee you that. There's informants in the militias. There's informants in the Proud Boys. Uh, there's probably informants in a lot of these Wignac groups. Some of the smaller ones, I don't think there is. There could be informants in that. I don't really know. But the smaller groups, there's probably been. If like I haven't heard of this group, I don't know if the feds have heard of this group. And even when I looked them up on information, you know, they had a uh, the local Antifa had a page on them, but you know there wasn't much national attention. Generally, if you're on the SPLC list, 
you know, the feds have an interest in you. That's like the interesting thing is like SPLC and ADL provide like the basis for what groups the, the federal government should focus on. And uh, we see the results of that. So I think, yeah, I, the bigger groups that are there, there's definitely federal informants in there. But I think so. And that's like one thing is true. Going back to the Fed op point is that there is a ton of feds in this. But the funny thing is, is that we're here with a group that their leadership a lot of their leaders and even people involved in the conspiracy, they were finding out like these guys who were involved in the planning of the Proud Boys and stuff were informants besides Terrio. And no one is calling them feds. We're just calling the Rose City Antifa feds. Or Rose <laughs> they may be feds too, but Rose City Nationalist feds. And you know, there's a little bit of a weird thing. And it's also like these guys are absolutely federal agents. It's also doesn't get what the feds is. It's like there's obviously federal informants. And if some of the groups, there's probably like a very small number of undercover agents. There's definitely federal informants. I don't know. The agents, is that's up, upgrading it. And that's like the thing that they, so there's, you know, there's a chance that there's like federal informants, but that's different from agents, which they all claim these guys are all agents, that the federal government has tens of millions of dollars to just send their agents out to get beaten up by proud boys to for what purpose like i don't understand what the purpose of these rallies is like the federal government when they're wanting to trap people through informants and agents here's what they do they try to get them to agree to serious crimes like the kidnapping plot against gretchen gretchen whitmer which was engineered by the federal government that's they that's a hefty prison sentence or they agree to like hey how about you blow up a federal building and agree to it really close to my shirt. And they're like, okay, I'll agree to that. They are trying to get them on serious charges so they can go out to the public and like, hey, right-wingers and white nationalists are our number one threat. Look at these guys we just arrested who wanted to blow up a federal building or try to kidnap a governor. These guys are a threat. They're a major terror threat. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to entrap them into serious crimes. And that's the goal of this. Their goal is not to just show up to some random rally with like five people and wave a flag. You know, that's not really their goal because they can't get criminal charges out of that. And that's a waste of time and money for them. What they really want is to push these guys into agreeing to terrorism or some type of serious crime so they can arrest them. And then they can promote them as showing like this is the real threat of domestic terrorism. They're not. I also don't think. Like this rally would have otherwise gotten no attention without the without the the beatdown, without the fight. And yeah, I think sometimes these groups do uh, negate the other protesters. Like I think Blood Tribe is really an example of that. I wouldn't be surprised if the leader of Blood Tribe is like a federal informant or some sort. But I don't think this is like not the top priority for the feds. It's like, hey, how about you be idiots at a rally? The problem is, is like people are just naturally idiots. And like, but when Blood Tribe goes out there, they're like have swastika flags, they're going Zeke Heil and stuff. It like creates an incredible bad impression. For a lot of these groups, they're just like masked up. I mean, they, you know, they're not like Patriot Front. Like, you know, it's not the best optics in the world, but I don't think it's like, you know, it's not thoroughly discrediting the other side, but they're really worried. It's like, oh, what they're really trying to do is they're trying to discredit us. And they trying to entrap us into a terror scheme, which is like, you know, our own commentators are pushing people in that own direction when they predict like civil war and revolution and secession and stuff, which if people actually took seriously would result in very serious federal felonies. Uh, that's probably more of it. I mean, the 
peaceful demonstration, it's like, you know, it's like can be stupid. It can make your own side stupid. But there's a lot of fucking idiots on our side, as can be seen by the online discourse surrounding surrounding this fight. So I think people will just be naturally idiotic on their own without the federal government. And I don't think, you know, there is a right to worry about feds. But really what the right to worry about feds is that every public demonstration now is a fed op and you shouldn't do any demonstrations and if people show up that are like hey this guy is young and fit he must be a feral agent let's beat him up which is generally the the mentality now i think it's becoming just incredibly stupid and people think that there's like feds under their bed because they posted let's go brandon and that's really what conservatives now believe it's like the like and you saw this in the discourse too it's like on online it's like if you doubted that these guys are feds like oh how's langley paying you langley is paying you to say they're not feds and this you know this has been a standard feature of like the distant right discourse and like very online discourse for years and years and years but now it's you know transported to the mainstream right and they're all obsessed with this idea, but it's, it becomes even more stupid. It's like the federal government does not give a shit about you saying, let's go, Brandon. But all these guys think that they're like the CIA and FBI's top target, and they're sending out these Nazis to discredit them from saying, let's go, Brandon, which is what is the argument here. So it's a complete misunderstanding of what federal informants and agents are trying to do. It's, they're trying to entrap them into serious crimes. And peaceful demonstrations uh, outside of... Um, entering the Capitol without authorization are not really a part of that. You know, they're not, it's like, wow, you just showed up a peaceful demonstration. You're going to jail for years. And it's becomes kind of this like demoralizing aspect that like we shouldn't even show up in public. And it's, it's also contributing to the fact that like, it's really bad for Trump that like, you know, he can't get out people to support him during his indictment. I mean, he can through rallies, but he's like, come out and protest. But everyone's like, this is a fed up. But if you show up to peacefully protest, you're going to go to jail for life. And it's like, look, not everything is January 6th, okay? As long as you're not entering a federal building without authorization or and you're just peacefully protesting, you can still do that. And it's a wow, showing a message. But people think that. And it's like, it comes at the same time. I've made this point a lot of times. It's like, it comes at the same time that everyone thinks that we're heading to civil war and right-wing violence is about to come real and we have an army of young, of fit young men ready to go and do battle. And then when a you know, small number of fit young men show up at a protest, they're like, these are feds. We've got to attack them. <laughs> We've got to expose them. We've got to unmask them. And it's like, well, where is your army coming from? I don't think it's going to be the boomers. I mean, the Proud Boys are young, too. I mean, maybe it's the Proud Boy army. But most of the time, it's like, you know, a bunch of aging boomers. I don't think that's going to provide your Civil War Revolution mindset. And if you think that like every demonstration is a fed up, then how is your like guerrilla uprising not going to be a fed up? But uh, I digress. There's a lot of, as I said, lots of stupidity involved. But I think it's a greater stupidity because that's reaching a larger level. Is that, as I said, the Benny Johnson tweets got insane engagement. There's also just people being willfully stupid. Like Adam Kinzinger had a stupid tweet where people misread. Like I hate Adam Kinzinger. I don't want to defend him, but he's like, why are these guys celebrating attacking federal officers? Because he's he's taking MAGA at their word. He's saying, like, uh, if you're attacking federal officers, this would be a serious crime. It's a stupid point, but that's what he's trying to say. And that it, it's like, it is a point. If you're like, if these guys are actually federal agents and you just, like, beat them up, you know, that, that could get you serious charges. And it's like, we need to attack federal agents. And so he, that's the type of point he's making. 
Which that could be dangerous if they were actually federal agents. Like, ah, I got your FBI badge. I'm going to punch you in the face. And it's like, you just beat up an FBI agent. I don't think that's going to go look well in court. But that's obviously not what's happening because if they were federal agents, these guys would be getting arrested, but they're not. And that's the point he was making is that they're encouraging attacks on federal agents. But then everyone, and there's like big accounts too. I wish it was not big accounts, but it was like Benny Johnson tier accounts. And they're like, Adam Kinzinger just admitted that these guys are federal agents. It's like, that's not what he was saying. But <laughs> that's what they're, he, he's taking their theory to a logical level and he, or he's at face value. And they're like, and how the fuck would Adam Kinzinger know that these are federal agents? <laughs> He's no longer in Congress. And I don't think they informed him as like briefed him on like, we've we've made sure that everyone on Patriot Front and everyone wearing a skull mask is a federal agent. So that's got popular. And then like Elon Musk is talking about how we need to unmask these guys. It's like, this is, you can't do this in public. And, uh, you know, it's a really bad situation for people who have um, controversial and dissonant views for our whole side, which we think these people are promoting our ideas and agreeing with us, and then they're like, we need to thoroughly attack them and unmask them and ruin their lives because we think they're federal agents. And you may just think this is towards these idiotic skull mask guys you know, showing up and doing these pro- stupid protests. I understand that, but this is going to apply to anyone with our beliefs. It's like the same reason why I took a big stand against the Florida law, which once again, these same idiots were defending, which was going to criminalize Free speech, if it happened on our private property. You know, it is directed at the idiots in Goyam Defense Lake who drop, like, some stupid pamphlets on people's lawns and stuff, and people don't want the pamphlets on the lawn. But it then can be directed towards normal right-wingers who maybe post, like, an anti-immigration message on a, on a public, on a private building, and then they're charged with a serious crime. And that's really my worry about that. And the same reason why I take a stand here is, like, I don't like it when conservatives decide to become Antifa. I don't like it because, you know, if you'd seen these tweets from three years ago, it would have been these guys are clearly antifas. Like they're trying to go after people for, you know, free speech, you know, regardless of whether it's stupid or not. And they shouldn't be doing antifas work. That's not our job. It's, it's definitely not our job. And it's incredibly stupid. And the people doing this research are like Gen X and boomers they're not like really well informed of how to do research and so they were unmasking these guys they found one guy who i'm pretty sure is jewish i don't think this is the guy but this guy was in he uh, he was um in a Jew, the jewish fraternity a pie he seemed to be like not somebody who would be involved in right-wing stuff i don't know maybe he had a mental breakdown and got involved in stuff and you want to be like well this proves they're a federal agent i was like um, there's a lot of minorities in these groups that are serious believers that they're just nuts. Uh, but I don't know. I, I the the people doing the research, I don't trust them to find these people. So I don't know one guy. And then the other guy that got unmasked is like the leader. He's already been unmasked by Antifa, and they were posting his docs, and they had it had like Antifa stuff around it, and they're like, we found out this guy. He's Antifa, and people were like, good catch that he's Antifa, and everyone was agreeing that these guys Antifa. It wasn't that he's Antifa. It's like the, all that Antifa stuff is because he was doxxed by an Antifa website. But our side is the people involved in this are so stupid that they can't understand that. So they're just running wild with this theory. And it's uh, it's getting a little frustrating. So you're seeing this. And once again, the, the, the tweets like unmasking these guys as feds or Antifa were getting insane engagement. I saw one that's like it had like almost 20,000 likes. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, 
Uh, this is a little bit too much. And Elon Musk is tweeting about how they should be unmasked, and so it like Thomas Massey and a couple of other politicians. And I was like, uh, you know, it, it's a dark day <laughs> when you have all these forces. You know, popular conservative commentators, popular Republican politicians, Elon Musk, all tweeting about how we need to unmask and expose these racists who are definitely feds. Is that all feds are are, are all racists are feds? And it's our duty to do this. It's what Antifa has been doing. They've all been turned into Antifa. And it's getting insane engagement. It's becoming extremely popular. I just don't know what you do with that. So that's why I I do think the Fed Op uh, or the Fed meme has gone a little too far. I think people are right to worry about feds. And I've used this argument about like why people should be careful about the Civil War and secessionist stuff. Because, you know, if you got seriously involved in this stuff, it would be a major federal crime. And they do want to trap people into this stuff. They want to have people thinking that there's no recourse in normal politics and they have to go to extreme means. And what happens is just like a, a dozen idiots decide, get convinced that they should kidnap the governor of Michigan and then they face long prison sentences. Some of them beat the charges, some of them didn't. Um, but that's the type of thing that happens. And so I always worry about that. And that's like the type of federal entrapment you need to worry about. But it's come to the point where everyone who disagrees with me on the internet is a Fed, which has always been the case of distant right. But that's now going into the to the mainstream right. All public demonstrations are Feds. Anyone who's fit and young at these demonstrations must be a Fed. And at the same time, they're worried about Feds everywhere. They're like, we're also confident that we can overthrow this government in a short amount of time, and we're. We're committed to revolution and right wing violence is a real thing. It's like, and it's like the only right wing violence I've seen in the last two years has been Proud Boys beating up the Rose City, <laughs> Rose City Nationals. And it's like, uh, I don't think you guys are prepared for to take on the state, but that's like the kind of thing. And everyone just thinks, and it's, it, it's, as I said, I keep saying it's idiotic. It's also like kind of, um, unwarranted sense of self-importance like i don't think the federal as i said the federal government does not care about you posting about let's go brandon and other stuff on the internet they're not as heavily involved into caring about what right-wing twitter says as people on right-wing twitter think they do they do have a a real interest in these groups but it's the real life groups which that creates problems with these real life groups and i do think that on the other side the people getting beaten up and exposed are also idiots and they're not going to change their idiotic ways, but that is what it is. But I'm more worried about the conservatives, which have that's more popular, more sway, and is more likely to do it, you know very dumb things. I mean, they could just see it's like all racists on the internet are, are are not are feds, and we need to expose them. And so these dumb boomers and Gen Xers then decide it's like, hey, this guy says that Blexit isn't going to happen. That's a Fed talking point. Let's try to dox this guy. And that's the logical endpoint of this stuff. So I think it's really stupid. I don't you, I uh, obviously think these guys are idiots that they got unmasked. They sh- nobody should be involved in that. But at the same time, I'm much more con- I'm more concerned with the idiocy spreading from the Fed meme on this stuff. And another point is like it's a bit of a black pill. I mean, this podcast everyone always accuses that of it, but it's not a black pill. It's a clear pill. It's a sober pill. Is that everyone thinks it's like, oh, if we have national wars or we have these really radical ideas that's implemented by conservatives, like the uh, the identitarian or dissident right will definitely come to leadership. And this incident shows that that's not the case at all. If they had a national divorce, they would 
issue like a national felony, you know, it'd be a felony to be a racist, you know, and then they would like use their new uh, let's go Brandon militia to kill all racists and stuff like it's not going to like these radical ideas you, you see getting popularized among the mainstream, right, does not mean that our ideas are becoming more popular or that our ideas are at the forefront of that. It's really getting merged with a lot of this con ink nonsense. It's not even con ink. I, it's, it's just like boomer nonsense and boomer stupidity and conspiracy theory stuff. And it's being merged into that and being supplanted. And now all these guys think that racism is a fed off. And so if you think like the vast majority of the public agrees with us and is on our side and is ready to take to the streets and overthrow this corrupt government, you really have to look at how conservatives react to you showing up in public. And they want you beaten up. They want you unmasked. They want you doxxed. And they'll think you're Antifa and a federal agent because they're that stupid. And that's really what happens. And I think people should be sobered up by this and be less hesitant uh, or be more hesitant about conservatives adopting radical ideas because I don't think we would benefit from that, judging by their adoption of support for political violence, which is then directed against a so-called racist. So uh, I think you guys... uh, Need to be a little bit more worried about that. But that just happened on a whole bat weekend of week of bad content. Uh, at the same time that people were like, oh, there's feds under my bed. There's feds everywhere. Everyone wearing a mask is a fed, except for these proud boys who are also wearing masks. Um, uh, there's also the content that like the other every other tweet I saw this weekend was people tweeting out these pictures for our videos from these pride rallies showing these naked men these old naked men and i frankly nobody wants to see this i understand like creating awareness about it and just pointing it out and like there's always been this like freak ass shit at these pride rallies but every other tweet was showing the most depraved perverted and just it's like just straight up disgusting porn and conservative accounts were just addicted to tweeting this stuff out all weekend and this is just my following tab i can only imagine how bad it was in your for you tab so i'm scrolling down and i'm like i'm seeing some dude with his junk out on a bicycle like i don't want to fucking see that nobody wants to see that but conservatives are like i'm just so mad about this Sorry, at his balls. Look at his balls. I'm so mad. And then it's like, I think there's something very fucking weird is that this is like the all the fucking content. It's like going insane. It's like, look, I understand creating awareness about this stuff, but then that becoming all the content on our side. It's like we be like conservative Twitter turned into a gay porn site. Okay, <laughs> over the weekend, it was it, it was not talking about how racist are feds. It was, you know, gay porn. And it's like, I don't want to see this shit. And it's hard to mute it because it's like, you know, what do you, you can't mute videos. You can't, uh, and it's like, I've seen this. I don't want to scroll through this. But that's, it's like become the height of perversion. It's like we see so much perversion and negative energy from the stuff. It's like other normal day, it's like some dude dresses a man twerking and stuff. And it's like, this stuff is bad for you. It's bad for you. I understand creating awareness. I understand that. But if it's like everything you tweet, if it's everything you just like obsess over and you just, and it's making people loopy too. Like I was just seeing some tweets that it's like mainstream conservatives, like just like going straight fed posting. And I'm like, 
you know, I'm worried that they're creating the 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 grounds for how crazy th- th- it's loopy is that there's like could be people being pushed into like doing some type of mass shooting or something. I don't want to indulge like liberal stuff, but th- there's a lot of crazy people out there. And I'm a little bit surprised there has been yet due to the rhetoric it is. I don't I'm not wanting to say like people calm down the rhetoric or stuff like that, but I do worry that like people get a little unhinged about this stuff. Like I, and I understand bringing awareness to it. And people complain about like these fight videos that they'll have, like the magic videos. And sometimes I find them funny. Uh, sometimes they're really funny. Sometimes they're really disturbing. But I think, you know, they're not like perverted and disgusting. But with the, the, the gay stuff and the trans stuff, it's like really, it's really disgusting. And it's like even one day they're showing like the surgery videos. And I'm like, oh, God, like, you know, I don't want to see that. <laughs> I don't think most people want to see that. And it, it creates a very negative vibe around it. And it creates a little bit of a loopiness in people, too. And, and so that's another part of the right is going and saying it's like let, let's let's calm down on this I, I i don't think we've this is this is like the peak of it it's like look you don't need to show these nude men you can just say that there's nude men there you can show like blurred out photos of them and showing that like how weird this is and that there's kids seeing that you don't need a, everyone to quote tweet the same video and make sure that that's all you're seeing on the timeline uh, but I, I do think that's like a real part that's like something's gone lost. I think like a few years ago, people would have realized like, okay, I shouldn't tweet this out. And then they tweet it out. It was like the same with like Blair White had like a bikini shot, which like, like very fucking gross. Like, and then everyone kept tweeting it. It's like, come on. There was a few people like, I am not tweeting it out. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> but there's like, I'm so mad at this Blair White bikini pic. It's like, bro, just don't quote tweet it. Don't look at it. <laughs> but they're they're just obsessed with it. I, I do think that's creating a weird mentality with this stuff is that that's like all this content is becoming like gay and trans porn and stuff. It's like, all right, you know, let's uh let's let's get a let's get a little bit more on stable ground here. We all know pride parades are like full of freakery and nonsense and you can talk about like some of the things that are going on and like and that, but I, I don't think the videos that's like creating awareness, it's like, I, I think it's creating something else. I think it's creating some real negative energy in, among people. Or some people are just really like it for some reason uh, by how angry some of these people are and how obsessed we are, they are with tweeting. And I'm like, I may, you might be a little bit too into this content. Um, but that's like another example of that. And all this, of course, followed the trailer park mom, which everyone was fawning over. And like, this is awesome. This is how we need to live is moving to a trailer. And it's uh, and, and and this is like a combination of distant right and mainstream right as well. Like this is very much an insider baseball podcast, except for the Russia stuff. But the, um, you know, there's a combination of both sides. Like this is the ideal mom. And then, of course, it came out. She's only fans and stuff. But then people were still celebrating her because she's poor and there's like this celebration of poverty on our side where our whole strategy now is to just be poor it's like don't go to college move to the middle of nowhere move to a trailer park uh and you know just don't even get married to have kids just peep pumping them out and like uh, you know there's another demographic that well not moving to the middle of nowhere but that does this stuff and I don't think we're very positive about that demographic, but 
it's becoming this increasing state that we need more downward mobility on our side. We need to be poor and that's how we be authentic. And it's usually championed by people who are not poor, not from working class backgrounds and are not certainly not involved in the trades, but it's a way of them like fantasizing grasses on the greener on the other side. You should read the article. I, this has been already been a long podcast, so I don't focus on it enough, but. I still have stuff to talk about before we get to the Connolly questions. But I think that a lot of things with the stupidity is, a lot, you know, I've been warning about this a lot. Some of it's like the Bud Light obsession. I mean, yeah, they've been punishing Bud Light a lot. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's had an effect of like reducing some of the pride stuff. But the overwhelming importance placed on Bud Light uh, at the diminishment of other more important issues is what I mainly worry about. But you're seeing that more and more. And a lot of the stuff that you're seeing the idiocy from the right-wing media and the Twitter sphere, the online sphere, is seeping out into lawmakers and how they operate. And, like, the one thing – the topic I was going to go into uh, before Russia and all this stuff was, like, how, like, kind of off the rails the GOP Congress has gone. Now, I'm not trying to sound like an MSNBC segment. And I do support a lot of these strong conservatives in there because they're the most willing to talk about demographic change – be tough on immigration, point out crime. Some of them are even willing to, you know, criticize reparations. But that's not their main focus. They're kind of really trying to appeal to the conservative media consumer demographic. And they want to just, like, have them fighting and acting like guerrilla fighters of some sort, no matter, regardless of whether it's accomplishing anything. Now, liberals made this point back in the Obama years, like, Republicans aren't interested in governing, which was stupid because Republicans were just not interested in signing and being rubber stamps for Obama's agenda. And that was right for them to do. And they were very organized in their opposition. Sometimes they needed some conservatives to waylay them to not do stupid stuff such as amnesty and other things. But uh, there was also one time where they tried to attempt where some Republicans were open to gun control, but that died, thankfully, as well. And but they are always criticized that they're not interested in governing. They need a compromise in this. And that was always dumb. And so I, I think it's great that Republicans are holding up whatever type of Biden agenda they had. I mean, Biden really didn't get much shit passed in his uh, in the first two years either. So Republicans were right to do that. And they're right to. And some of the other things that they're doing, like, uh, I think, you know, investigating Biden and all the things, you know, that's what. Democrats did when they got a House majority in uh, Trump's last two years. So why not do that? But I think there's other things that are getting there where they're not able to try to focus on what all their political capital is. Like if Republicans, what we want Republicans to do, one, to stop any, to not agree to any more stupid Biden ideas, like to try to stop like, you know, his stupid infrastructure, quote unquote, infrastructure plans he had in his first term. You know, the IRS expansion, you know, we want to make sure that they're not doing anything that stupid. But there's also a point where, you know, they can give a minor debt ceiling increase. You know, I don't think that's really important, but they really should be using all their political capital on securing the border, which is the number one problem right now that we have that the government can immediately solve. You know, government could solve this issue, you know, very easily by with just a few changes. And Republicans could force those changes to happen by being smart legislators, by holding up bills. Like imagine, I always, I've always said this, is like imagine if they held up the debt ceiling to secure more border security funding and to 
and push the Biden administration to actually enforce immigration law and to increase deportations and to take a tougher line. But they didn't do that. They instead made it all about spending cuts, which is not important to what we care about. Who gives a shit about that? I mean, theoretically, maybe, you know, we need that. But right now, the big threat is the border crisis. Border crisis didn't figure at all into the debt ceiling fight. But conservative media was like, oh, this is awesome. They're fighting. They're, 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 be, they're being tough warriors. Like McCarthy's selling them out. It's like, the government needs to function, okay? If we had a debt ceiling, you know, if we shut down, like, that would hurt the border. <laughs> that may hurt the border. And then it could encourage the border crisis to get worse. Like, that's mainly what we care about. That's not it. And then Republicans like to, you know, try to shut down all house business. Over the spending cuts, not over the border crisis, over the spending cuts. Now, if they had done it over the border crisis, I would have supported that. But that's it. And McCarthy, realizing he has to give them red meat, is just allowing them to do like this stuff that I don't think the public is paying attention to right now. But like, it's not going to do well in the election. Like, They're censured uh, Adam Schiff. Cool? That helps Adam Schiff to get elected to the Senate. He's running for the Senate. Like... It's a meaningless gesture. And they were like, well, they've censured like our Republicans. But, you know, censuring Gosar and removing Green from her committee assignments actually hurt them. This helped Adam Schiff. It's the same in the way that the uh, when the state GOP in Tennessee removed those two black lawmakers. That was the greatest gift that they've ever that they did for those black lawmakers. And those black lawmakers immediately returned. And they're like, well, we're using state power and we're going to do it anyway. It's like, well, if it accomplishes the opposite of what you're wanting to do of, you know, undermining that person and diminishing their ability to be a powerful player in politics, it accomplishes the opposite. And the censuring, Adam Schiff's going to run on that in a Senate campaign. He may become a senator. That's like not what we want to do. And so it was like a gift to his campaign. But, you know, McCarthy's like, I got to give these idiots like some red meat. So they'll be content with like, woo, we censured Adam Schiff. Still having a border crisis, still having an invasion. That does shit for it. And then, you know, Boebert, (laughs) who I'm uh, obviously a big fan of, (laughs) you know, she uh, offered her own impeachment amendment to Biden. Now, I would say Biden deserves to be impeached. But they don't have the votes for it. And also, politically speaking, it's it's not it's going to backfire for Republicans. Now you can once again say the impeachment of Trump. You know, they impeach Trump. I like morally speaking and for a perspective, principle speaking, I think Biden should be impeached. But politically, it's not going to play out the way the way Republicans do. Like it's going to push moderates to get first off, they don't have the votes for it. They don't have the votes for it. So having a failed impeachment effort is worse than is just worse than not doing it at all. Because imagine if you had a vote and you got short of it, and it looks embarrassing. It looks it's, it looks like a humiliation for Republicans that they can't do anything, and they don't have a control of their caucus, and they don't have the votes for it because all these moderates know that that's going to hurt them in their elections. Because you know, I, I once again, I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is how it's going to play out politically. Their opponents are going to be like, this guy's not focusing on running the country. He's focused on impeaching Biden, which among moderates and independents, they don't think Biden should be impeached. And it's also helped along by the mainstream media doesn't think he should be impeached. Difference with Trump. Like they had set the ground like, oh, he's so bad. He's so awful. And then he got impeached, which his impeachment, his first impeachment didn't impact the election at all. Didn't matter. Which once again shows like why impeach Biden as if it's like. I think the message should be sent over his border policies, but they haven't 
really come together for an argument. And what Boebert was doing is she was just having trying to have a straight impeachment vote without outlining the case for why Biden should be impeached. There is a case for him to be impeached. You just have to make it to the public. And they, you know, when Democrats impeach Trump both times, they had a whole case for it. You know, they had hearings, they had, you know, these grand speeches to argue for why he should be impeached. And they made the case for the public. And of course, the mainstream media elevated these arguments. Here, they're just like, we're impeaching him. And they're like, over what? Like, people are like, what are they impeaching him for? You have to make the case to the public. Make it a big story, and then once it's there, the public can see, you know what, I understand this. They'll probably move on, but it's not showing that. But they're also having trouble like in trying to make the case to impeach Mayorkas because they're so distracted by all their hijinks and all these conservatives who are wanting to get engagement and attention from conservative media. And, you know, they're trying to impeach Mayorkas, and they're trying to make the case for it. They're trying to hold hearings on it, but the hearings aren't getting any attention. Conservatives have just moved on to the next thing. You know, they care far more about Bud Light than they do about Mayorkas and the border crisis. That's 100% true. And so they're not capable of organizing themselves to make a clear argument for why Mayorkas should be impeached, even though they could likely have the votes for it. But they're not creating the momentum for it. I mean, I think they could eventually at some point. But they, I thought that by June they would have already issued articles of impeachment against Mayorkas because and they were having these hearings on the border crisis and trying to blame Mayorkas and seeing like what Mayorkas is having dereliction of duty. But due to the fact that the Republicans are so unorganized and that they're all the conservative members are trying to gain uh, tweets and retweets from just doing hijinks and all their clownish stuff, they can't make that argument. So it's, uh, I, you know, over time, I don't know if this will have a major impact on the general election, but they're not accomplishing what they're trying to do. It's like we wanted all this power to ensure that something could be done about the border and something could be done. That's like probably most they can do because they have a thin majority in the House and they don't have a majority in the Senate. And obviously, they don't control the White House, but they can use all their political capital and the power they have to do something on that one issue or at least send a message by impeaching Mayorkas. I mean, the Senate's not going to vote for his removal, but it does send a message and they could remove him and maybe put, you know, do some other things, but they're not doing that. They're just focused on uh, getting attention from concern media and Twitter. And there's these incentives to do it. Cause I mean, in some ways they feel like they can't do anything. So might as well just do clown acts to raise money for their campaigns and other things. The same with Bo- Bobert's impeachment. Bobert's impeachment measure was just done to raise money for herself. And then like in part of further clownishness of her and Marjorie Taylor Greene got in a cat fight over their dueling impeachment <laughs> articles with Marjorie Taylor Greene calling her a bitch on the uh, on the on the house floor and then Marjorie Taylor Greene uh confidently telling reporters she called her uh, Bobert a bitch and it's like that's not creating the best impression of Republican leadership but it is what it is like it's the main concern is I wish the Republicans would focus on what's important and drive that home, but they're not. They're just like it's like the one of the lowest points is that Ted Cruz issued a, a you know a, a letter of investigation to into Bud Light. You know, they, there's like Ben talks about having a committee hearings on Bud Light, which is just you know absolutely as idiotic as can imagine. But this is what they're focusing on. They'd rather focus on this stuff because it gets them uh, tons of likes and tons of retweets on Twitter and gets them like on Fox News and everyone celebrates this it's like this is awesome and you just have to look like you're acting tough and doing something, you know, hard and, and engaging to gain the support of all these people, but at the end of the day 
you know, this is what it ends up like. It's it doesn't end up into being very productive. So I do worry that, you know, if and the mainstream media can make this point. It's like, well, what has a Republican House done? They've done nothing. They've they've wasted all their political capital. So maybe you should give Democrats who will get something done, which they won't either. But, you know, I want a more focused GOP. I want a more focused conservatism. I want them to be, as I always make clear in those speeches, is like focus on what matters. Keep the, your eye on the ball and not be distracted by all these things. But they're going, the right has gone insane, as we can say. And I think it's, uh, you know, in the conclusion of this, there's this incentive structure to do this. As I was mentioning with these congressmen, is that these congressmen, you know, they're not caring so much about making an impact. They're caring about what can raise the money and can raise their profile. And doing these votes and, you know, offering these silly proposals that aren't going to do anything and, and these hijinks, that raises the money, gets them more donations, and gets them a lot of likes and engagement on this stuff. And that's why they, that's, they're, the incentive structure is there for them to be clowns. The incentive structure is not for them to be there to be uh, seriously committed to making an impact on the country. And it goes along with conservative commentators, too, because I've, kind of, I've alluded to this before, but a lot of these guys are slaves to their audience. And what they do is they just give red meat to their audience no matter how stupid it is, no matter how much they don't believe this stuff. Like, I guarantee you Benny Johnson doesn't believe this shit at all. But he does it because that's what the audience wants to hear. And it gives them exactly what they want to hear. And they spread all this bullshit, spread a lot of these dumb conspiracy theories, these harmless conspiracy theories, like Damar Hamlin replaced by a clone, or we used a weather machine to attack Turkey, all this nonsense. They promote this stuff because it gets engagement. And there's an incentive structure for this. And you can see this with my, like, what happens with this Fed op. Like, when I tweeted about this, you know, I got a few hundred likes. And I got a lot of angry people, too, but from both sides. I got people who were saying they're definitely feds. They're absolutely feds. So they're angry. And then the people, the wake nats are mad because nothing you do is ever good enough for them, which is why no one ever defends them. Because they're, and they're bitching and moaning in my, in my replies for, not going far enough or not doing this early enough or calling these guys idiots. There's no reason to defend them because there's nothing to be gained by these people. They're highly disagreeable nerds and they're just, that's just the way they are. I mean, imagine just like a curmudgeonly like Dungeons and Dragons crew. That's like, we're only, you have to play our certain type of game. We're no outsiders. And that's how a lot of these guys on the fringes operate. It's more like a Dungeons and Dragons club that's like trying to be exclusive and be more pure than any other club than it is a, like a serious political movement. So you don't get any, so you're not even getting a love and respect or uh, not love and respect, but any sport or the best were the backhanded compliments like very rare take from idiot career. Good take. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> so there's like, you don't get any like engagement and everyone dunks on it. So everyone's like, the replies are generally hostile. And you're not getting that support. Compare that to anyone who called them feds. If like I had called them feds, I would have gotten probably like 20,000 likes. So there's an incentive structure to go along with that. Uh, maybe I'm built differently that I don't follow along. But that's what most of these conservative influencers do. They follow what the, the audience wants and they give them what they want. And they follow that incentive structure. And it's not how you're supposed to be doing it. People call me a grifter for telling the truth and telling things that I feel are all right. I try to be honest with you. I try to be forthright. I don't try to bullshit my audience. 
People don't like that. <laughs> you know, people don't like the no gear spin zone. They want the spin zone. They want the all spin zone. I don't, I don't try to tell people what they want to hear, and that makes a lot of people mad. But I try to be honest. I try to be forthright. And But the, the incentive structure is to do the opposite. And that's why we're seeing a lot of dumber commentary on the right is because people just, you know, it's a business. For a lot of people, it's a business. For me, it's a passion. It's an art form. <laughs> Tweeting is an art form. Uh, for a lot of them, it's a business, and so it's in the same way that like somebody who's selling cars isn't going to try to piss off, is going to try to get as many car buyers as he wants. These guys are going to try to get as many readers as they want, and they'll do anything possible to get more readers. And so they'll just lie and and not say the truth, and they'll bullshit you, and that creates a, a dumb environment. I don't, I don't, I try not to go full Richard Hanani and those types of like liberal media is smart. Liberal media is driven by a lot of uh, much more idiotic incentive structures. But I do think that like liberals, when they say stuff, they generally believe it. It's wrong. It's stupid. They're complete idiots or even evil, but they generally believe that stuff and they're not trying to sell you something. With us, our content creators are too much like used car salesmen. And they're trying to sell you something and they're trying to bullshit you into what you want to believe so you'll buy their car. I mean, I have a I have a paywall as IQ supplements. Maybe I should do that. It's like, oh, if you want to learn the truth about how Klaus Schwab sank the submersible, sign up for my IQ supplements. And maybe I, I'd get like a, a whole lot more. I'd be as... I'd be making uh, Benny Johnson bucks, but I don't do that. I try to be honest. I try to give people information and uh, help people out with that stuff, but it's um, it's rough going. So if you, that's why a lot of ways is the right has gone insane. Is that you know the conspiracy theory stuff, the off the wall stuff, the worries about feds on the bed, and you know these opportunities to sell people products and to grift it there's just so much opportunities for that and people want to do that because they want the greater engagement they want the greater chance to make more money and they're too beholden to their audience to tell the audience what they don't want to hear and you need some brave folks maybe some folks with a 6'2 height and an iq of 187 to say no more no more bullshit we're going to be honest and we're going to tell the truth no matter the consequences. And I'm sure I'm going to experience the consequences from the comments in the live stream at this moment. But it is what it is. I, I, you know, I, I always do say that, like, you know, to briefly conclude, it's like, I always see people like grifting. It's like, you know, they're like, you're grifting by saying, like, the Bud Light, pro, Bud Light is not the most important issue. It's like, it's actually the opposite because I like, I'm pissing people off. I'm not being a successful car dealer. I'm being honest. I'm like saying, this car is a piece of shit. Don't buy it. And people are just like getting mad. It's like, no, the car is great. And then the car dealer is saying that like it's an awesome car, even though it's going to blow up upon 5,000 miles. It's like people are like, yes, we love that. But I don't like I don't like the salesman attitude. But the fact is, is like a lot of America itself is like the ultimate archetype of America is a used car salesman. And the left is like not as entrepreneurial. Both for it's both a good and a bad thing as the right. But our side does have a lot of salesmen and all of our content creators have a real salesman like attitude. You could say more of a a grifter or a, a Barnum and Bailey type thing uh, as that. And they try to sell people on that. And that's what people adopt. And so they'll just lie and bullshit to you and tell you like these crazy stuff because they know that they'll, they'll get more tweets. They'll get more retweets. They'll get more engagement and they'll make more money off you. I try to avoid that. And hopefully the right more people move in that direction. But that's it. We'll uh, 
enough about my problems with telling the truth. It's not that big of an issue, but I just uh, wanted to point that out. But now on to the Kyle Lee questions. As <laughs> Once again, I'm actually selling stuff. After complaining about used car salesmen, I'm like, well, I'm never going to sell you stuff. Now I'm going to sell you Kyle Lee subscriptions. <laughs> that's uh, that's how we do it on High Respect. But anyway, but the Kyle Lee subscription, you do get to ask some very highly intelligent questions, and you do get access to IQ Summons. But as a reminder, you too can get the power to ask me questions or suggest guests and topics if you sign up for the Convalete option at Highly Respected Substack, and that's at highlyrespected.substack.com. And make sure to sign up to, for our IQ supplements so you can uh, encourage me to bitch more about other people selling stuff uh, to the right. Uh, but on to the questions. And both questions come from our good friend, New England Refugee. His first question is, hey, Scott, Cornell West has been endorsed as the Chapo Trap House protest vote of choice. Does he pose a threat of doing what Jill Stein did in 2016 or Nader in 2000? No. Cornell West is a joke. And I think it's also the Chapo people have been totally uh, BTFO'd. And like the left absolutely hates Jill Stein. They've all been joining up with the Democrats at all. I mean, Chapo Trap House... Like that whole Bernie bro side has been just totally demolished. And they've either just dropped out of politics or they've just merged into being standard libtards. There is like a there is like a socialist element that is still very strong within the Democratic Party. You can see this with the election of Brandon Johnson in Chicago and and a couple of and you know, more members joining the squad, newer members joining the squad, but kind of the national vote, which are national politics of what Chapo Trap House cares about. They've been, you know, they they know Biden's not one of them. They know that a lot of the major figures of the Democratic aren't one of them. They do feel like AOC has betrayed them. And, you know, the other, you know, um, socialist candidates they have are too non-white and too for- alien to them to celebrate. Like, they're not going to go, they're not going to treat Cory Bush like they treat Bernie Sanders. And so they're going with Cornell West because he's one of it. But Cornell West is like a goofball. Like, Cornell West is like, much goofier than Jill Stein, certainly much goofier than Ralph Nader. Nader was like a serious, like political operator. Like, you know, he was like a, and he had a lot of fans and stuff. Cornell West is like a, you know, goofball professor who talks about crazy stuff, but he stays within the confines of standard liberal talk. He won't go far out of it. Like, like uh, Roger Waters and some of these other people who are leftists who are moving in a more kind of Glenn Greenwald direction. And, you know, even with saying stuff about Russia, you know, Chapa Trap House itself has just become, you know, a Criterion Channel podcast. It's like all they talk about is movies now because they've they know that their politics have been thoroughly the type of politics they have. They're not comfortable going with the full on identity politics, anti-white stuff, even though they are anti-white, but there are just white well, <laughs> uh, white presenting guys, we'll say. Uh, well, most of them are white. But they uh, they are in that uh, category, and they're you know DSA and all that stuff. They're focused on really local politics, but they find that boring for the podcast. They want to do political entertainment, but they feel it's much better to focus on movies. So with Cornell West, no, I, I don't think it's gonna be a serious threat at all. I think he's um, you know there there wasn't a serious protest vote in 2020 when they had the risk of Trump, and Trump's likely to be the nominee. They'll vote for whoever the Democrat is, most of that Bernie bros crowd. They're going to gain support. I do think that in 2028, there's going to be a really vicious primary battle 
Uh, well, depending if Gavin Newsom is the candidate and he's running again. But let's say that Biden runs again and he loses or he wins and there's going to be a vicious primary. And you're going to see that socialist element come back, but it's going to be very different. It's not going to be these like white stoners in their 30s and 40s who remember Occupy Wall Street. It's going to be much younger, much more non-white, much woker than what was in the past. And that's not a celebrating the Bernie bros. I think they largely agree with this stuff, but they can't really fit in with it by being, you know, white stoners from the 2000s and caring about stuff from the Bush years. You know, that's not what that's not what the new left cares about. The newer left cares about, you could say. So I don't think it's a threat at all. I don't think uh, Cornell West will have an effect. Uh, with Even with the Stein stuff, that primary in 2016 was so vicious that... The, I, I think I've been saying Jill Stein ran in 2020, but I, to correct myself, it's 2016. 20, you know, that primary they had was a very vicious primary. Nobody wanted to vote for Hillary, and they all thought that like there's no way that Trump could win, so they voted for Jill Stein. I don't think that would happen again in 2024. And Cornell West is probably not the person to be that guy. You know, there, there, there's a small, maybe if it comes down to one state and there's like 5,000 votes that would have otherwise gone to the Democratic candidate and it wasn't there. And those 5,000 votes are the key thing. Like it could be a spoiler. It depends on how close it is. But otherwise, I, I, I don't take it that seriously. Because there's not that level of commitment to voting for a third-party candidate and to showing their disgust with the Democratic Party as there was in 2016. All those people have returned to the fold are just become focused on whatever the Criterion Collection is releasing this month. The second question New England refugee posed is about Texas. It was announced that Texas is no the largest group in Texas is no longer whites. Um, the plurality are Hispanics. And that's a bad news. And he asked, the loss of Texas is what will start the electoral winner. Can we keep it? And if not, how long do we have? I actually think Texas will stay red for a while. Um, a lot of their Hispanics are becoming. I don't like to promote the base minority meme, but Texas Hispanics are moving to Republican ranks. And some of these Hispanics are, some of them are just assimilating into becoming white working class or white middle class people and having the standard views or some of our, those Tejanos and they're experiencing the border crisis and these illegal immigrants are taking their jobs. So I think actually Texas is, you know, the demographics are a long-term problem and whether they're Hispanic, Asian, or anything else, it is a long-term issue. But I don't think it's going to be as immediate with Texas. It's not a good thing that the whites are no longer, um, well, they haven't been majority in a while, but they... They, they're no longer the plurality is that you're more dependent on those votes. But a lot of those Texas Hispanics or along with Florida Hispanics are those ones who are moving in a more Republican direction. So it'll be stemmed for probably the rest of the decade. It'll probably stay red, but like larger term. But as America becomes less white, it's going to be harder for Republicans to win in general because outside of Florida and Texas, Republicans aren't doing that well among Hispanics. And then there's other minority groups they're not doing well, of, like Asians and African. <laughs> well, they probably do better among Africans than they do among blacks, but that's another story. And, and where, and you know, Menes and wherever else they're coming from, you know, the new immigrants are not more willing to vote Democrat. And as America becomes less white, it's going to become much harder. But with Texas, it's a little bit different of a situation. And 
I don't worry about them. Texas going blue in 2024. If it if it does, there's uh, there's something major wrong. But I think they'll stay red for 2024. Probably stay red for the rest of the decade. Next decade's going to be a bigger issue. Um, but I try to stay positive about this stuff. I don't want to say like it's all doomed and stuff. And what I don't think this is the ideal situation, but it is funny that like with how many Hispanics we have in the right, you know, in the distant right, especially in national circles, you know, it'd have to be at least a fifth of the people involved now are Hispanic. Whether that's good or bad, that's another topic. But, you know, a lot of Hispanics are going to assimilate to a degree into whiteness and they're going to be indistinguishable from a lot of our core base. And we're already witnessing that. The bigger problem, I think, is more the Asians and those who are moving to the middle and upper class who know that anti-white racism is the ticket to the elite and pretending that they're victims. That's the bigger problem. But most Hispan- most Hispanics are not reaching that level. And most of the Hispanics who get to the elite colleges are like Castizos straight from South America. So it's not so much of that. I don't think we should have more immigration Obviously, I don't think that the Hispanics are going to save America or anything, but it's not as um, doomed as we may think. And especially we can look at Texas and Florida. I don't I don't know if it's quite Ron DeSantis's responsibility for Texas moving or Florida moving more Republican. But in those areas, like Hispanics are not dooming Republicans in a way we would have thought in the 2010s. So bad news, something to concern about. But it's not over yet. <laughs> it's not over yet. Don't take it as over. And that's my concluding thought I want to have on a little bit of a white pill for you guys. But it's a little bit of a long podcast today. I'm sure a lot of people will have some heated discussions over what I talked about for most of this podcast. And I look forward to reading every single one of them. Uh, but we've got a great IQ supplement prepared for later this week. Also going to have a great article already working on it. Should be posted before Thursday, I think. So we should be on the lookout for that. And so until next time, stay respected.